0: I want to go to there? Snipe! I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person.
1: Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes, 30 hellers. Agreed. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes still hearts
0: heart's Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Good. Well, it's going good. It's going good. Awesome. It's going good. I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna second guess. I'm not gonna question. We're just gonna I just I just don't wanna jinx it.
2: Yeah, well, it might be less fun once once we actually get to the TV. But we're, you know, there's so much going on. We're gonna. Ha- I think this will be the this will be the week we start eliminating, putting out of its misery certain things.
0: Yep, we're pruning our show list. That's that's for sure. And just because we don't talk about a show doesn't mean we didn't watch it, and doesn't mean we didn't enjoy it. it just means we don't have anything new to say. So heads up, some of our favorite shows we're not talking about because there's nothing new to say. So, yes, with that in mind, we heard from a bunch of you guys this week and uh, figured we mentioned some of that. We heard from Jean-Pierre about com, which is last week I had asked if people knew about a site sort for TV that's sort of like letterboxed. And that was his response. Apparently, that is what people should be looking for. So thank you for that, Jean-Pierre. Heard from Julius, who watches Strike Back and says previous years are just as fun, but with more sex scenes. So. That, that 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 does not surprise me it's it seems like a recurring thing now for shows that start with more sex scenes to sort of like taper off as they go along cuz didn't it, Spartacus kind of did that and so did definitely game of thrones and apparently strike back
2: uh yeah they get you they they hook you in with the sex scenes and then kind of forget about it for a while although strike back did bring it back this week
0: Talked Blacklist with Kim, Cameron, Keith, Drew, and Ken. Blacklist is one of those shows I'll be skipping this week. Yay! They've, it took them all two weeks to get to uh, the police brutality and torture. Awesome. Such restraint. Um, there was some Klaus Nomi talk. Not G-N, but N-O. Um, as well, uh, talked Breaking Bad with Bob, who agreed with Ricky from last week. Manuel, who thought the ending tied up a little too neatly. And Carl, who agreed with me. Also, we asked who if anybody else had seen Bebop, and I heard from one person. So now four of our Woo-hoo. listeners have watched Cowboy Bebop. Uh, and Keith didn't like it as much at first, but it grew on him, and he thinks it has three of the best opening, closing, and overall TV themes. And uh, we're going to talk about that in, in a couple weeks when we get to our Cowboy Bebop D- uh, DVD shelf. We also, let's see, we also talked Battlestar Galactica because my review of the finale went up for one of our final uh, Sun and Sight TV greatest finale posts. So talked with Michelle on the digital spectrum, Rowan, Beth, Fanrose, uh, Troy, Street Sword and Sorcery, Charlie, John, Shannon, and Ken. Also, TV Gaps. Uh, talked a little, a little bit about that with Todd and Ken and Beth. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore Show is a big gap for me Ken is frankly very astonished and ashamed that I am disgracing the Chicago legacy so I'm I apologize Ken I do need to catch up with the show and Beth says that Mary Tyler Moore show is her jam and so and she thinks I'll love it so I'm looking forward to watching it one of these days somebody needs to pick that for the dvd shelf
2: Yeah, we keep, there's a lot that we just keep waiting for someone to pick and it just doesn't seem to ever happen.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it'll happen eventually, but people look at the list of shows we've already covered and they're like, oh, what's left to talk about? I'm like, oh, there's so much. (laughs) there's so much left yes
2: one day we will have covered all the shows but it won't it hasn't happened yet
0: it's not gonna happen for quite a while another tv gap for me is classic tv westerns it's probably my second biggest you know like Gunsmoke and bonanza and all of that and uh brandon says that he can't get enough of that 50s black and white location tv work and i haven't seen any of that with the westerns but i definitely have seen my share of uh Uh, of dragnet and i was surprised how just how much i really enjoyed exactly what he's saying that 50s black and white location tv look have you seen either mary tyler moore show or these classic you know classic tv like black and white old school not
2: so much i've seen a little bit of mary tyler moore show but that's about it
0: Yep. So we'll have to well have to get to that one of these days in the in the DVD shelf, or just maybe maybe that's for the next Mickey Watchathon. Maybe we'll uh, fill in some of those gaps then. Beth just started the 4400. Enjoy. I had a lot of fun with that. Beth, I think you'll like it too. And we also talked some last Tango in Halifax. We'll be catching up with that a little bit later in the show. Threw it out to Twitter for any Six Feet Under suggestions, and I got one. Apparently, that's my dog. Is that meaningful to you? Yeah, that was a little yeah head shake.
2: That that's the, that one.
0: That one? The, that one. Oh, okay. Yay! Yay. That's... Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. you know we'll talk about that a little... A few weeks down the line as well. Uh, see, uh, Mario enjoyed my Boardwalk Empire review, and there's plenty more where that came from later in the show. We'll be talking some, some classical references and all of that. Talk Sleepy Holly with Beth, Steph, Swedge, Cameron, and Ken talk Doctor Who with Jordan and uh, Trout and Doctor Who, which became very timely. Apparently, the BBC finally confirmed to some extent some of those rumors that have been swirling about like a hundred lost episodes have been found. I, I highly doubt it'll be that many, but apparently there's some.
2: Apparently, it's two right now.
0: Okay, I'll take it. Two is more than, than zero, so yay. <laughs> And uh, we heard at the website from James and Andrea, RIP, not really, who is now Augustine. So, a little less of a mouthful. But James says uh, he doesn't think he'll ever understand what's wrong with season 5A, and uh, he probably actually had more gripes with 5B than 5A, and... He also had many other very interesting things to say, so check it out uh, at Sounded Site. But I, I did want to mention this, because, James, I would recommend listening to our DVD shelf or our season spotlight with Ricky, actually, from last year, talking about season 5A to get a sense of why, uh, at least for us, it was such a, oh yeah, definitely 5B's better. Because uh, he, he was saying that all, you know all of the critics seem to agree about that and yet we don't really go into why and on the podcast this this past week we didn't go into why but uh, but yeah so we have some character issues and some pacing issues and i would say listen to that dvd show from last year and that'll give you an idea of where we're coming from yep
2: i mean we got we we managed to go on for like 90 minutes without getting into that
0: so or skylar <laughs>
2: or skylar yeah we didn't talk about skylar at all which is hilarious
0: yeah, totally. Um, and we also heard from Augustine, uh, who agrees with you on the finale. So we heard from uh, like one person who agrees with each of our takes in the finale, which I thought was hilarious and awesome. Um, and and uh, they said that the series finale is missing full measures, a la the season three finale, which I thought was very well put. And instead, it went. It was a little too neat or tidy. Um, and then and then they also enjoyed the writing. F- format discussion so they'll be i would assume as we get into more of these stars shows coming up in the second you know the mid-season and uh towards the end of strike back i think we'll have more to say about that writing approach as far as stars goes i'm still waiting to hear when the next uh show is when that uh space show is going to get uh picked up
2: yeah, I'm still waiting for that as well, although on, on the subject of Breaking Bad, I, I kind of wish that uh, we'd had the Norm MacDonald tweets to play around with, because I've been thinking about that a lot.
0: Yeah, and that was that was pretty fun. Uh, definitely enjoy that alt narrative. Uh, if, if you don't know what we're talking about... Uh, just
2: Google it. Just Google
0: it, you know, Norm MacDonald's Breaking it. Bad theory. Uh, at 7 on site, October is Horror Month, and uh, every time I go to 7 on site now, there's a new... Because like, there's a different post going up on a different... Uh, sub-genre of horror every day, and so I keep going to Sound on site and going, ah, ah scary picture. <laughs> this, right now, it's, it's kids, you know, evil kids or something like that, and it's just like, demon baby. No! Okay, every time I talk about horror for the listeners at home, Simon does the little, like, twitchy movement thingy from... American Horror Story last year, like, one of the very few things I saw from American Horror Story last year was a GIF of that, and it's terrifying and horrible, and you're a bad, bad man.
2: Uh, An American Horror Story starts
0: tomorrow. And it does, and I will be watching at least the premiere. We'll see how long I last. I'm very interested in Coven, so... We'll see how it goes, but anyways, all your horror needs at Sound On Sight this October. Also, uh, I'm gonna have to write up Toy Story of Terror, which is going to be airing, I believe, next week, next Wednesday. I've already had a chance to see it, and it's it's adorable and really well done. And I was I was a little uh, had a bit of a question mark about revisiting any of those characters after such that beautiful finale of Toy Story three. But I, I think this format, sort of like a standalone kind of Charlie Brown special deal, I think it works, and uh, and you know, sort of a a not low stakes, but much more compartmentalized story. I think uh, it works. It works very well, and people will enjoy having a little bit more buzz and and uh, Woody and Jesse and and all of our favorites. So. You guys should check that out next week. And then also I wanted to mention November is going to be Doctor Who month at Sound on Sight. We're already starting to gear up, prep for that. And uh, yeah, that's going to be fun. Oh, good. (laughs) I know how thrilled you are for more Doctor Who talk. There, Simon. Ah,
2: November. I think I'm going to go take a vacation in November.
0: Just all of November? Yeah. You
2: can get someone else to go for a while,
0: right? (laughs) At the end of the show, we're going to have the return of Informed Opinions Formerly expert witness This week we're talking with a lawyer uh, Louis Zimmerman About the uh, the depictions of lawyers And the law uh, And courtrooms and all of that On TV And it was a lot of fun It was a great segment Yeah,
2: it sounds like it might be boring And it's really not It was really, really fun
0: So hopefully you guys enjoy that It'll be at the end of the show But for now Let's get into our weekend in TV So we'll take a break And come back with the comedies
2: Nash, I know, listen Listen, go along with what I'm saying right now Okay that's the only reason the band Came all the way over here You with me? Hey. I just can't believe these guys are here. What are you doing? Daniel Mussolini Castellano,
1: will you make me the happiest man on earth? Get up. No. Get up. No. That's why they came over here. If you don't take the ring, they're going to leave. Yes. What are you doing? Carry those things in your pocket? Yes, yes, I carry two rings with me just in case. <laughs> take the ring. Morgan, what's going on? Is this happening? It's happening. We're in love. Okay. a special moment. Okay, uh, guys, guys. You know what? I'm going to do it. Oh, yeah. my oh, God. Mary Morgan. Oh. <laughs> i Morgan. <love> you. <laughs>
0: Like a I this week in TV, we watched a lot of comedies, but we'll be talking about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Slump, New Girl, Double Date, Mindy Project, Music Festival, Key and Peele, the Super Fun Night premiere, Anything for Love. Always Sunny, Mac Day, Parks and Rec, The Pawnee Eagleton Tip-Off tip Classic, uh, Bob's Burgers, Fortnite, Le- uh, East Bun and Down, Chapter 23, and Hello Ladies, The Limo. And I'm going to start with Hello Ladies because I just have a few thoughts here. You were surprised I even checked out Episode 2 at all. Uh, and I'm glad that I did because I did like it much better than the premiere. I didn't feel that underlying like anger or quasi-misogyny that I was frustrated with last week. That wasn't here this week. And... Uh, And it still is a hit or miss kind of show for me. I'm still not really fully on board, but this at least was a little better for me. All right. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Slump, is up next. What did you think?
2: I thought this was pretty easily the best episode they've done so far. And I thought it was actually quite heartening to see them have a a little bit of a step up so early, uh, because that's more than Parks and Rec got to do. So, yay. That's a good sign. I I just found myself laughing more. Uh, personally, and I, I, I mean, actually laughing out loud at all. So <laughs> that's something I feel like they're finding a better groove with the ensemble already and just slightly toning down Sandberg's wackiness, although there's still more of it than I would like. So yeah, it's looking good for B nine nine.
0: Yeah, the slump was fun, and uh, I've seen the episode that's airing tonight, Me Time or Me Time, and uh, th- that features, of course, the waitress Mary Elizabeth Ellis, and it's a lot of fun. So yeah, they're they're on track, I would say, Brooklyn Nine Nine definitely. Uh, we we're skipping Trophy Wife this week, but that's another one that had a definite step up in its second week, um, or third week in this case. Uh, next up is New Girl Double Date.
2: Not a step up. Do you remember when we all loved Schmidt? Remember when he was like the breakout character and we just couldn't get enough of Schmidt? Yep. Uh, those days seem very far away to me now.
0: I thought the emotion was effective here this week. Uh, I definitely bought the the emotion from Cece and from Elizabeth and from Schmidt. I actually, that, that did work for me. It's just, it's not, it hasn't been funny. And taking the character in such an unlikable direction, like Max Greenfield, Almost pulls it off because he's so likable, just as he's so charismatic. But yeah, I remember when the show was funny and, when You know, like there's some some attempts there with the with the Winston stuff, but still, it's just it's a bit. You know, does I want them to get back to the funny and and Jess and Nick are not gonna be the funny for me when they're together. Jess and Nick are not gonna be the funny and like.
2: I was already, during the episode, I was already thinking this is not a good direction, and then where they take it at the very end, mm-hmm. with him blaming Jess and Nick for some reason, was just like, why? Why did they think that was a good direction?
0: Well, apparently it's Schmidt's turn to be the ridiculously, like, just crazy person for no reason. Normally they give that to Winston, so they want Schmidt to be stupidly crazy for an episode or two.
2: I guess. I just don't, I don't know. This, that, that is, that is not the way I would have written this arc.
0: No. We'll see what happens. Uh, Next up, Mindy Project. So they wrote out Casey, and they wrote him out by replacing him with a different character, basically, played by the same actor. So he starts out this episode, because I know you haven't watched, by, by coming back from Haiti, he comes out to start Mass, and then to to, to announce this to the congregation that he's found his true calling and he's going to be a DJ now and he's going to stop being a minister. Uh it, and that's just out of nowhere and it's ridiculous and yes the actors funny but that it just is such a cheap way to break up the characters. And then down the line, you know, like so they follow that for an episode and then at the end the the Mindy and Casey break up and it's that it was very believable and and done very well, but the way that they got there was completely a rewrite of the character, and that's lazy storytelling, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, hey, I hear the national made well an done. appearance
2: on the episode, which all which is funny because they also scored, I believe, the end of Parenthood this week, mm-hmm. and they're just all over the place. They're they also everywhere. Did, they also did songs for Game of Thrones and Boardwalk Empire. They're just determined to take over our televisions. I'm not sure why.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 okay with it though. Just checking. <laughs> Next up is Key and Peele
2: which was not i don't think quite as good as the first two episodes in fact i'm having diff- i i think for me clearly the best the best sketch was um the ass slap sketch
0: they again they took it to their to the ridiculous conclusion
2: yes and then not too much further than that which where i think they have a problem with that with some other sketches that get to some place kind of funny and then just keep going and going and going
0: yeah some of the other sketches actually worked more for me the The recurring bit that's not working for me is metaworld meta world, yeah. meta world news yeah
2: yeah i'm sort of I'm sort of surprised they're doing that every episode they do, they have this strain of like sports gags mm-hmm. that's only funny for sports fans yeah I'm not sure that they know that. <laughs>
0: But yeah, I would say the first two weeks were a little stronger, but uh, but still, obviously, we're big fans. Can Still enjoying it. Um, next up is Super Fun Night and the premiere, or as some people who aren't following this very closely, because why would you? It's Super Fun Night. This is not their pilot. It was their second episode. They shoved the pilot. Apparently, they're gonna be airing it as like episode four or five, so they don't you know completely shove it. But what I find hilarious is that it was almost the exact same story. Um, as far as the antagonism, the, instead of going to a club, they go to karaoke. And um, yeah, there's some el- positive elements in there. You know, the, the the treatment of the love interest character is a little better, but the whole thing is still just very, just the worst kind of cringe humor. I don't even think they're going for cringe humor. I can't tell if they're going for cringe humor, but the fact that they had two weeks in a row um, a character who's supposed to be thin and beautiful... Um, just has to be a bitch is, is really frustrating to me because then it sets up as a Rebel Wilson versus anyone who's thin has to be a bad person. And I just, that's such lazy, again, lazy storytelling, especially when one of the best friends, you know, their best friends are, are, are more in shape, you know, conventionally in shape than, than someone like Rebel Wilson. And so to just constantly set up everybody that she works with who's female is a romantic threat and they're all skinny bitches, basically, is just, let's be a little bit more creative. But obviously, I'm not going to keep watching Super Fun Night now that I've seen their official premiere and I've seen the pilot. That's enough for me. I don't know if, I, if ABC can do anything with this, but I figured I would mention it, seeing as it's, you know, it's rare for shows to actually swap out the pilot in this day and age, so. Thought that was interesting. Always Sunny, Mac Day.
2: Um, Once again, not quite as good as I think it's been recently. Same with Keen Peel. Peele. I, I like the idea of bringing in Sean William Scott randomly for an episode and sort of having him run the show. Because uh, I do think he's funny and can't yeah. be funny in something like Step Brothers especially. But, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm I'm having difficulty recalling a lot of the episode, which is not a good sign.
0: Oh, I liked all the creationism gags, and you know, the, like the structure around the seven days, like the planetarium. I, I enjoyed and uh, and some of the other bits. The the I, I enjoyed the the very clear assertion by everyone. Oh yeah, Max definitely gay. <laughs> We've never <laughs> said this, but <laughs> yeah, that was, that worked for well, me.
2: I, I I do like the, the strange. Uh, I like whenever they call back to the gang's Christianity, which I find so ran- – like, I think they appreciate is as just so random and so not thought out at all. Yeah. Uh, and, and and yet they do, they do it in a way that manages to not mock Christians really, just mm-hmm. themselves.
0: Just the character.
2: And their poor understanding of things. I mean, there is an element of satire there, but it's not there to beat you over the head, mm-hmm. B- Bill Maher style.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I agree. Sean William Scott, I think, is a lot of fun, and I became a fan of his watching the Rundown, and I I think he's actually an underappreciated comedic talent. I think people just constantly see Stifler, and when they see him, and again, maybe because I haven't seen American Pie much like with Jason Biggs, I don't have that baggage. But I think he's actually um maybe underused, underappreciated. So it was nice to see him pop up here and be a lot of fun. I agree. Next up is Parks and Rec, the Pawnee Eagleton tip-off classic. And it was nice to see Kristen Bell back on my TV, not playing whoever her character is. Whatever the
2: hell, whatever it is she's doing over on House of Lies that we yeah. don't really care about at all. Yeah. Um, but they're bringing T.I. on this season, so that's exciting. Um, the, uh, yeah, I mean... I'm always of two minds whenever they bring on the Eagleton stuff because it, because it brings out Leslie's you know sort of more hateful tendencies which I always find like to be the least compelling aspect of the character. But I thought that was just the, all the gloating this week was just too much fun. So I, I'm not going to hold it against them.
0: Uh, the PowerPoint was pretty great. Yes, and and more importantly, this week rather than using Eagleton to to bring out. Leslie's worst characteristics they they do that but then the point is that Ben brings out her best uh her best self and and that's you know and and we'll get more storyline moving forward I'm sure with the Potty Eagleton uh drama and uh see it'll be interesting to see how that split comes down for for Leslie in the recall if that's going to come back later in the season We'll we'll see there, but uh it's just like the Swarovski crystal oranges <laughs> as opposed to the the uh worm infested uh pawnee apples. Yeah, it was it was it was a fun episode. Yeah, for sure. Next up is Bob's Burger's Fortnite and they've given us some really amazing uh themed episodes based on holidays from last season. How did this season's Halloween episode compare to the last season's fantastic Halloween episode for you?
2: It wasn't as good, but it was still great. And it was still, I think it was better than last week's episode. Uh, I loved the, uh, do we know who voiced the crazy girl character? Because it kept bothering me and I didn't see it in the credits.
0: You know, I don't have it in front of me, but I definitely agree. That was a really fun performance. And uh, yeah, having, uh, just I appreciate the, the ballsiness of doing another Halloween episode the year after they did such a great one last year. I would agree it's not quite as as good as last year's, but it was still a lot of fun. Well, I mean, I like
2: that, you know, the, this is a show where the kids are so centric, so it makes sense for them to to mark all the holidays because holidays are important when you're a kid. So, you know, it's it may seem like a retread, but they're good at it, so I don't really see a problem. And I'm yeah. and I'm hoping that next year they have continuity where Tina's all like, well, last year was supposed to be my last Halloween, but now it's not, and I'm excited to do it better this year, et cetera. Like, I would like them to do a little bit of continuity like that.
0: Was it Molly Shannon as Millie? Uh, She was credited, but I don't, you know, I'm not seeing the character name. She
2: did have a Molly Shannon quality for sure.
0: Yeah. And I've really enjoyed Molly Shannon the past couple weeks because, of course, I've been watching Enlightened as well, and she's great uh, on that this past season. So, yeah. And our final comedy this week is *Eastbound and Down* chapter twenty-three,
2: which I think might just take it this mm-hmm. week for comedies. Because mm-hmm. man, I I like that J- Jody Hill, who you know he directed um, *The Foot Fist Way* and uh, oh god, and um, *Observe and Report*. And now he just seems to be devoted to making Eastbound and Down. Like, he directed these first two episodes. Usually he splits directing duties with David Gordon Green, but he's got, like, three movies out this year, so I'll be surprised if he comes back. Although, you never know. I like that he's devoted himself to this, and he has he has a very clear idea of how he wants to direct and execute the show. And he, his comic voice is very singular, much like Danny McBride. And I, uh... There's just so much about this show that shouldn't work. Like... You know, for instance, every, like every time they bring back Steve Little's character every season, I'm always like, "Oh, they're bringing him back again." Like, what else do they have to do with him? And this year, with him becoming the nemesis and then totally turning that around within ten minutes, uh, it just always gets to me. And I don't know why the show can get away with keep pulling with continuing to do the same beats over and over, but it just works.
0: Yeah. And. I was watching. I think this is going to win the week in TV for me too. And if you had told me that last season, I would have said you were a crazy person. That it would <laughs> that it I would really connect with the episode, and I really really enjoyed this episode. Now, first of all, one of the important things this does is it sets Kenny powers up as an underdog by putting him next to an even more obnoxious character. That's a excellent tool for any of those uh, the shows with uh, where your main characters are assholes put them next to somebody worse and all of a sudden they're better. This episode also really stresses the importance of April in in the in the show but also just to Kenny because that moment at the end with the two of them really solidifies it, it makes Kenny a real person. It makes him feel obviously the the struggle and the failure help but but just that need for connection, even when he's doing terrible things like buying an $80,000 car. The fact that he went, oh, crap, what have I done? I bought an $80,000 car also helps with that, too. But just, again, bringing it back to the, the relationships in his life being so central, that makes Kenny much more human. And as he's doing all these ridiculous things, saying all these ridiculous things, and generally being an idiot... Grounding him in emotion, I think, you know, just these small moments of emotion goes a very, very long way into making him uh, relatable and therefore more interesting. Mm
2: -hmm. And I think it also helps that it's just funny as hell. I mean, I I love those little bits of nihilism, like him buying the $80,000 car, them freaking out. Steve Little being like, oh, we can torch it. Yeah, let's torch it. Uh, (laughs) Stuff like that. His... um, (laughs) His confession to April about his romantic dreams, the mm-hmm. kids—oh my god, the kids! I couldn't handle the kids.
0: The kids—I I couldn't handle the kids in a different way. That got old really quickly for me. Uh, <laughs>
2: okay, fair enough.
0: But the emotion of the episode saved it for me. What wins your week in TV officially? Is it is it Eastbound?
2: For comedy, yeah, I'll give it to Eastbound for sure. I'm just—I'm so glad it just refuses to die.
0: Yeah, and for just again for managing that blend of <laughs> ridiculousness and and heart and total <laughs> yeah crazy anarchy and also just dickishness we're somehow blending all these things that shouldn't work I will also yeah. give it to Eastman down this week now we'll take a break and come back with our week in reality you got me you We have The Voice, The Blinds. We have Top Chef New Orleans premiere. We have The Amazing Race, Zap It Bingo. And uh, so I'll kick things off with The Voice. I just figured I'd check in now that The Blinds you know, are done. They've they finished building their teams of 12. Uh, looking at the four teams, there, there are some interesting singers. I wanted to chime in just because I really enjoy Juhi. I probably pronounced her her name wrong, but the, she's an Indian-American teenager uh who just i get such a strong devin from crucifix victorious on, on friday night lights just vibe from her she seems really really cool she's got she's and she's good most of the teenagers on the show this this season are actually good which is a nice change from last year um or at least i should say good enough to be on a show like this and, uh, and she, but she also has a really good head on her shoulders. I love that, like, unlike the other teenagers that are on the show, there's like two or three other ones. As soon as, when she gets off and they're interviewing her, one of the last things she says is, I don't know how I'm going to manage this and high school at the same time, but I'll find a way. I'll make it work. <laughs> and just to have her actually thinking about stuff like that just shows me that she's more mature. And uh, thoughtful. And that always makes me happy to see. I think the people that the judges have been turning around for this season is a lot smarter. Um, There's a lot of really, really talented people. How many are going to break through and become more interesting? I'm not sure. But I like that they don't seem to have the same um, uh, scorn for training, musical training, at least so far. We'll see if that changes once they get into their coachings. But I appreciate that. And also, there's a variety of of look and age and sound that I very much appreciate. So, so yeah, there's, there's some, there's some potential here. There's more potential than I would have thought after the first couple episodes. So we'll, I'll check in after the, the next couple of rounds as well. Um Let's move on to the premiere of, of Top Chef New Orleans. what did you think?
2: Mostly my main thought is thank God there's no online portion this year. I mean, they did have one of the, uh, one or or a, a couple of the chefs being exempt from elimination because of something they did in an, in an online preseason challenge, but I guess that's going to be the extent of it, so yay. That's that's my main takeaway.
0: There's there's an online portion, because they're doing Last Chance Kitchen again.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. They're doing Last Chance Kitchen, but I'm okay with that.
0: It doesn't affect week to week. It doesn't
2: have as direct a bearing on the show as what they were, that junk they were pulling during Masters this season.
0: Woo! Definitely. No, I'm with you on that. I like the, the people that we've seen so far. And again, it's just they, just putting it in New Orleans, it's such an interesting location. And the the people that they're going to be able to bring in are going to be a lot of fun. Just watching the trailer, I'm like, oh, it's Kermit! Oh, it's Professor John! Yay!
2: <laughs> I'm amazed that in that preview, I didn't spot any Bourdain.
0: Yeah, that's true. We'll see. Because you know, he has a history with the show, and obviously he's always a lot of fun. But we'll we'll see if they bring him in. Um, I liked some of the chefs. It was nice to see some familiar faces back, and uh, and they seem like they know what they're doing. When they're listing up their credentials, and I'm just like, uh, oh my god. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, they all seem pretty good, except for the guy who put ice in his soup. And I was glad they got him out the first week.
0: Yeah. Oh, that was such a bonehead move. I mean, and I very much, I very much appreciate that he actually cared about getting the temperature low enough to for for the bacteria and everything to not grow, and like. We never see chefs talking about that, and I, you know, that's an important, important thing to do. But there's a better way to do it than diluting your soup.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Any any early runners <laughs> for you, or is it too soon?
2: Uh, too soon. There's too many, and I can't remember their names. But uh, yeah, it's I'm I'm always happy to have a good non, not too ridiculous season of Top Chef. I'm hoping that they keep it relatively pared down, like they did last season. That was a great approach for them. Uh yeah, that's all. That's always good to have top chef, and it always makes me hungry, which is a problem. But that's all right.
0: <laughs> so we had a little bit of craziness over at the amazing race as well, or ridiculousness, I should say. Zip it bingo! The theater performers are gone. I'm still in ninth place, but it's out of eleven now. It's supposed to be ninth place out of nine. So
2: yeah, it's a, it's a bigger pool than usual. I'm um, feeling better. Yeah, uh, I actually felt bad for the bingo guys, if only because. Every season, they always seem to have like an annoying theater team, <laughs> and they're the least annoying of the annoying theater teams that I've seen. And I, I didn't necessarily want them to go right away, but mostly, they just could not get a break. It was so sad.
0: Yeah, but I mean, like I was watching them talk to those ticket counter people, going, "Wait for leave or for arrive," right. and, and so, yeah, like, okay,
2: no, that was their fault. That was totally their fault. And the shoe shining was, was his
0: fault too. It said March stand and it's always Did it say marked stand? Yeah it did and it's always you know so, so Did they he, say
2: how it would be marked?
0: No but his, the other one wasn't marked at all so that one I, that was st- also on him. I
2: still think the design of that challenge was somewhat flawed
0: I don't know and and obviously whenever you have a something like that, where there are 10 of them there and there are 10 teams. The first team needs to find one of 10. The last team needs to find one of one in a city, you know, like, you know, several block radius, I would assume. So, so that obviously makes it harder for the last team to get there to that challenge. But still, that was, that was on him. It was sort of, it was hilarious to watch. I felt bad for finding it hilarious. But, uh, but I, I do think that while I was enjoying the, the mishap, as it were, I do think they still came across well, you know?
2: Yeah, they managed to not be dicks the entire time, which was good. And and, and it's hard to get out of a show like this without doing that at least once. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, and the producers must have just been cackling with glee when they realized how quickly Marie was just going to become everyone's villain. It's <laughs> just like in, in the most cartoonish, over-the-top fashion I've ever seen on this show.
0: Well, I like how everybody else has just decided she's horrible. Because, you know, I would assume she's not fun to travel with because she's really loud and obnoxious. But, like, at the end, she's the devil. It's like, no, she's telling you that you're doing the wrong thing. And you're interpreting that as she's the devil. Well, no. I mean, she does,
2: like, she... she. I don't think that she knows that they're not going to accept that card. I think she's just trying to not let them in.
0: Really? Cause they- that's, how it's,
2: that's how it seemed to me based on her, like, body language.
0: Well, I still think, uh, because I still appreciate elements of her. Yes, obviously she can be a pain in the ass, but when they get to the the, the mining and, and brining, and first of all, the fact that they didn't all immediately do brining when they saw the size of those ridiculously tiny hammers is astonishing to me. But I love that Tim and Marie just grabbed the like three bags. They like don't change into their bikinis to carry salt. They're like, no, this is ridiculous. With the tennis shoes on and everything, let's grab lots and lots and lots of bags and then let's just. You know, so some some elements of their approach I appreciate if they would stop arguing all the and time. I, and I,
2: I I laughed out loud definitely when Tim agreed that she was the devil.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's I think there's potential there. It'll be interesting to see if they stick around longer, how their edit changes. That's always fun for me to watch.
2: Yeah, I mean they they're gonna have to stick around at least a couple more weeks because they've got two express passes.
0: Yeah, but they only get to use one of them. So yeah, I, mean... I know, I know, but still. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll see. You know, I, I think this episode was a little more promising than the rather uneventful premiere. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so, what wins your week in reality? Uh, well, I'll give it to Top Chef happy to have it
2: back and in, in a less wankery format
0: yeah definitely uh, me too I'm giving it to, to Top Chef though there are some elements of the Voids I really enjoyed this week as well they have the camaraderie down to a tee and it's it's much more enjoyable uh, than than it really should be especially the early stages are always the most fun um, but yeah I'll, I'll give it to Top Chef as well and now let's take a break and come back with our week in genre <laughs> Genre, we have the second episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Sleepy Hollow, The Vampire Diaries Premiere, The Originals, Pilot, and Strike Back, Shadow Warfare. Um, Genre is back as a category for us. (laughs) That just means we have too many shows.
2: It is. Not all these shows will be returning to the podcast, but we've got a fair
0: amount this week. Yep. So uh, I I, I don't feel like I quite, I don't think it's quite earned the spotlight of shame, but we got to start out with a little public shaming to S.H.I.E.L.D., this week
2: absolutely
0: did you guys even google uh countries in south america political unrest because and obviously i have a closer connection to this because my brother-in-law is peruvian and i've been to peru and my sister studied abroad in peru for a year so like i know more about peru than i know about say argentina or venezuela but really really (laughs) rebels in was that supposed to be the jungle? Because I've been to a couple different areas of Peru, and none of them look like that. And an Inca cave, but it doesn't matter. Like, come on, guys, just a basic
2: googling. Yeah, like I, I get that the Marvel universe isn't our universe,
0: but it's more. That's taking it it's a not far. that much not our universe politically. I mean, yes, there are some mining, you know, issues like rights issues in Peru, but. Uh, armed gorillas in Peru. No, no. I was surprised they didn't just go like, Columbia drugs. I mean, <laughs> come on, guys.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't think any of this would be as much of an issue if it was a good episode of television, which it wasn't.
0: It wasn't. It just was not. I mean,
2: the the show, like, we're going to talk about Strike Back in a minute, but the way the show stages action is
0: Laughable. uninteresting and
2: unconvincing. Laughable is another way for it. Uh, to, to say that um, the characters aren't getting more interesting. They're just sticking to their one notes. That whole beat at the end with us, them trying to convince us that Chloe Bennett's maybe going to turn on them. Not interesting and not even vaguely convincing. Oh, God. So many things just were... For a, for a Whedon's series, mm-hmm. uh, the dialogue was just laughably bad. Yeah. Laughably poor and terrible and awful and no good at all. Um, I'm am really struggling to find anything I liked about it. Actually,
0: I'm still really liking Ming Na as Agent May. Okay, you don't like Agent May?
2: She's all right, but not enough for me to care.
0: Yeah, I think, um, especially when I look at her performance along with Clark Gregg's performance, those two characters have a a uh, steadiness, and they act, they feel real. They feel like. They they feel like they aren't just a shell of outline of ticks the way that most of the other characters do. They you know they they have a grounding I guess I should say that the others don't and I'm enjoying them, but there's still I mean well I'm assuming the next episode is gonna be better. A lot of episodes struggle, a lot of series struggle with their second episodes. So come on guys, it's gotta be better than that.
2: It's yeah if 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 they manage worse than that next week. I'll almost have to applaud them, because... Woo!
0: Wow. Let's move on to Sleepy Hollow. You haven't had a chance to see it yet. I just wanted to mention The Lesser Key of Solomon, as well as the episode last week. I'm still having so much fun with Sleepy Hollow, and uh, I was very glad to see it get picked up for a second season, not a back nine. So they're sticking with 13 episodes, at least in the first season, and I would guess in the second season as well. That seems like a very good move for this show. I also really... It seems so obvious to me that they're talking about there are two witnesses, and there are two sisters who witnessed, uh, a, the devil or whatever, at together, and and yet all of a sudden they want us to believe that Ichabod Crane is one of the witnesses and one like it seems so obvious that the two sisters are the two witnesses, and I mean. It, it seems like the show is very much becoming sort of a gender-reversed supernatural, where you have two sisters fighting against this larger evil thing, um, and sort of with Ichabod Crane as the Castiel, and and, and if they're going to go down that approach, I think it's actually really interesting, and in seeing that, I think adding the sister in is a very smart move, and at seeing that dynamic should be a lot of fun. The, the main difference I'm seeing between early Supernatural and this, well, first of all, the quality is better than early Supernatural, as much as I enjoy that show, but... In Supernatural, you didn't get such an emphasis on the arc until later. Sort of like you got to season two or three, and you were like, "Oh my God, there's been this arc this whole time," and that was really satisfying. I'm worried that they're going to burn out on the arc too early on Sleepy Hollow. But that being said, as long as I keep getting scenes like that, not on Star <laughs> scene in in the, the beginning of this episode this week, I, I mean Tom Tom Mason is just really knocking some stuff out of the park that shouldn't necessarily work so I'm very much enjoying this cast I'm having a lot of fun with Sleepy Hollow and uh, I look forward to watching to keeping up with it this is going to be one of those season past shows for me
2: wow and you would not have guessed that a couple months ago
0: not necessarily no especially not before I saw the pilot but um, but yeah anyways having a lot of fun with that having so much less fun with the Vampire Diaries premiere I know what you did last summer um, yeah let's make it official breaking up breaking up with The Vampire Diaries, I don't need to watch it. It's been
2: fun watching your entire the the arc. course of the, the the arc of Kate's relationship with The Vampire Diaries. Wow, this show is surprisingly great. It's doing things well that other shows are doing poorly. This went on for a while and then yes. the seams started to show, but she kept the faith and every <laughs> once in a while there was a really good episode and now it's just over.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad that uh, Depayne is covering it for us this season so that I don't have to. And I'm very glad because just they're, they're doubling down on human Catherine. Um, they're doubling down on this whole doppelganger Silas thing. And none neither of those performances are working for me in the way that they need to for me to invest or for me to overlook how stupid it is that all of a sudden there's another doppelganger. Um, and it just... I really, I just don't care about, like, the corner of this episode that I cared the most about, actually, was Matt and Rebecca. I had a lot of fun with their scenes, and now Rebecca's going over to the originals, which we'll talk about next. So, that can't be on the show. And uh Ghost Bonnie and Stupid Silas, who was a mess all of last season, and it continues to be a mess this season, and... The answer to your problem is not introducing more invulnerable characters.
2: Yeah, I actually kind of like Ghost Bonnie, but the rest of it didn't really work. The scenes with Stefan in a box, which let's put aside the fact that it rips off Angel, we got that out of the way last season. Uh, just so silly, especially Elena's last appearance in that, which why did that happen?
0: S- uh- Stefan's subconscious?
2: Uh, can, his, can take like, whatever sub, form. Sub, subconscious. Apparently. Ugh, that was, those scenes were painful and so useless. They didn't need... It, you could take away all those scenes and the episode would be no different at all, period. Which is the sign of stuff you don't need. And yeah, I agree. Sila, uh, Stefan as Silas isn't good enough and Catherine isn't distinct enough still. And basically every show that has doppelgangers or twins is just really upset that Orphan Black is a thing that exists, I think. <laughs>
0: definitely yeah masani's making them all look bad
2: uh and yeah so yeah i agree i'm i'm not going to keep up with this sorry vampire diaries you were good once
0: um i'm also not going to keep up with the originals and i we did finally see the pilot always and forever What this pilot does that is very intelligent is it takes the backdoor pilot and basically retreads a lot of it, as you kind of have to, because you can't assume everybody has seen the backdoor pilot. But it does it through through a different character, by making Elijah the lead instead of Klaus. And I was like, oh, they've rethought their approach for the originals. It's going to be through elijah's lens that makes a lot more sense and is and daniel gillies is really likable and is very charming in that role and is a good central lead and can be conflicted and believable in that you know sort of trying to shepherd the family role and then that's to let klaus be crazy on the sidelines um no no (laughs) no no he gets daggered at the end of the episode so that klaus can be the main character again Uh, And so all the weaknesses of the backdoor pilot are still there without the interesting new lens of Elijah. And now we're going to be getting flashbacks and no, I just don't No, (laughs) No, thank you. Not interesting. And this, this portrayal of, of, new orleans is the least interesting of the like bajillion things set in new orleans right now so it's 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 below top chef new orleans as far as shows said new orleans that i care about ouch yeah yeah definitely i don't know i don't understand why you again your lead is invulnerable you cannot be killed he doesn't care about anything that is not a central character for a show that works as far as i'm yep mean. If I'm wrong, let, let me know. If if the if the show gets really good, listeners, let me know, and I will check back in uh, to see in a few weeks if it gets if I keep hearing from you guys. But for right now, I see nothing here that makes me want to tune back in. All right. Next up is Strike Back: Shadow Warfare, which uh, on the other hand is uh, incredibly moving with the quasi death of a character this week. Uh, unlike the original, the original is a quasi death; this is an actual death um, this week, and they just they keep killing. They're characters. Yes, they do, don't they?
2: Which makes sense for this for this venue, for this work they do. I mean,
0: it's sort Strike of back refreshing.
2: Is, Strike back is weird because they can they they will kill anyone with two very clear exceptions. Yes. Um so they will contrive in the most ridiculous way possible to keep those two men alive at the cost of all logic or sense or anything really. And it does bother me sometimes, especially because everyone else, fair game. Yeah. Completely fair game. Mm-hmm. No matter how long they've been on the show, no matter how likable they are, totally fair game. And I appreciate that, but it's a weird balance.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um,
2: but still a, a pretty enjoyable episode. Uh, there were occasionally Strike Back will do things that bother me, like you're in the middle of a Russian secret medical lab and the doctors are speaking English. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Things like that will stand out to me. But because the show is so inherently ridiculous, I'm okay with it. And yet, I don't know, the show has almost... It's clearly nowhere near as good as Spartacus, but it has kind of a similar having its cake and eating it too where it gets to be ridiculous and actiony and fun and then still gets to twist the knife a little bit and remind you that you're watching a show about people who die and you feel bad when they do.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I I do think of Spartacus. Again, I would agree, Spartacus is another playing field here but but i still am really enjoying strike back and it's because it does balance those two things and it's something we talk about with justified as well they know when they're being awesome and they're a lot of fun and they get the quips in there and they also find space for the emotion without overdoing it either they it would be so easy to overplay leo's death this week but i don't think they do i think they handle it just right
2: yeah um I do think they cheated with Leo a little bit, like the way they staged uh, the Rodimitra death scene
0: mm-hmm. with,
2: I mean, they had him acting shifty as hell in the <laughs> sequence for, I guess, now no apparent reason.
0: I'd have to go back and rewatch it.
2: Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the apparent reason being they want us to think that he's shifty so that we'll have that, you know, sort of percolating in the background. So I do think unless there's stuff from the previous seasons that they were shading in and I didn't get it, I don't think they were. Um, then yeah, I do think they cheated a little bit with that, but I do think the death scene was handled really, really, really well. I like that they, that, uh, his, I, one thing about the show is I can never remember which British guy is which or, or which, uh, rather which, I mean, I know there's the American and the Brit, but I don't know that what their names are because
0: Stonebridge and Scott,
2: there you go. I don't know which one's which though.
0: Stonebridge and Scott. <laughs> okay.
2: Okay. Sorry. You're right. Um, <laughs> When uh, when when Scott is just like, what do I tell that kid? Like I like that that's the first response because that's what I would be thinking also.
0: Yeah, and again, it plays to the the real emotion of that situation. It it does all these ridiculously outlandish things, and it says how would a human respond to these ridiculously outlandish things? So yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. So what wins our week in uh, genre?
2: Strike back, strike back, strike yeah, back. Yeah,
0: definitely strike back. I, I mean. Don't get me wrong, I very much enjoy Sleepy Hollow, but definitely Strike Back. And now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. Mm-hmm. This week in drama we have Homeland ooh, Ah. Ooh, ah. <laughs> then we have Last Tango in Halifax the Bridge Finale the crazy Place, Scandal premiere it's handled uh parenthood all aboard who's coming aboard Boardwalk Empire Earl Koenig Masters of Sex Race to Space and The Good Wife The Bid Bucket uh at the top here Homeland Ah. Ooh, ah. better than the premiere um I, I i really actually liked the scene with Dana and her mom and uh I'm surprised they managed to make me care about Dana at all, so well done there, there, and very good performance from Dana, the actress who plays Dana, that is. I'm not excited about next week. It looks like uh, a certain familiar face is, is going to be coming back next week, and I really wish that wasn't the case, so... Uh, apparently my sources telling me he was gonna be gone until episode five or something were incorrect. But uh better than the premiere and uh I'll keep you I'll keep you posted, Simon, as to whether you should tune back in. All right. Last tango in Halifax, just wanted to mention this is still happening, guys. The finale is next week on Sunday on PPS, and it's it's a good one. I really like the way the show comes to its its conclusion and this episode just the, the scene of Anne Reed and Derek Jacobi dancing is just like Makes your heart go pitter pad. it was just such a wonderful, happy moment, and then there's plenty of drama going around as well the The depictions of of sexuality and the various home lives I think are really, really well handled and And I just wanted to mention before the finale comes on that yes, the last hangover in Halifax is still happening, and you should still tune in this Sunday to the finale and then we have the bridge finale, the Crazy place
2: which oh, I really wanted this to point. To better things but man season two of the bridge which is a confirmed thing that's going to happen is going to need some serious retooling mm-hmm. i think uh, because very few of the directions that they've indicated for next season are all that promising to me
0: yes i was not happy with our final shot and especially just the on the nose glint of the fire behind yes. oh
2: yeah oh yeah
0: yeah behind fausto his name is fausto and he's next to a fire Come on, guys. Uh, We've read a book.
2: (laughs) Any book. Any book. A book.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would agree. The the stuff with Charlotte, I still don't care about. And they managed to try to build her up into something and then immediately undercut her again in this same episode. Um, And so I don't care about anything that's happening with her next season. I still don't care about Linder. And while I'm interested in Sonia and and Marco's relationship. I, I, that's about it. And look, they managed to, to, to have the sister be kidnapped in an episode. They didn't even wait till next season for that.
2: Yeah, I, I thought, oh, good for you, Kate. You called this incredibly predictable thing.
0: Yay. Um,
2: yeah. So, I mean, I still like, uh, obviously, Matthew Lillard and Emily Rios, but the whole idea of him going back to work and then the first thing he does is find a house full of money.
0: Yeah. Really? Come on, guys. Yeah. Uh,
2: so, Yeah. Oh, the bridge. You could have been so great. You could still be great with just a little bit of work.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm way less excited for season two than I was for season one. Let's move on, though, to Scandal. It's handled. Now, have you seen any Scandal before? This is my first
2: episode of Scandal. So, yeah, first time around. As, as a caution, maybe I'm missing some, like delicate subtext or you know subtle details of performance or, or characterization no? no you're shaking your head All right, i didn't think so um the thing i like about scandal based on this episode is i like just how black-hearted it is and just no one is even remotely likable from what i can tell no one does good things or if they do good things it's in service of terrible things um and I admi I kind of like the fact that a show this evil is this popular. So good for them. But I get the feeling that one of the reasons it's so popular is because people get into it for like the Shonda Rhimes love triangles and stuff like that. Which, in the context of this show, why would you care? I don't get it.
0: That's a good question. Because the 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 main shipping is the whole Olivia Fitz thing, and I. Don't I like Olivia? Or I want to like Olivia Pope, and I can't whenever she's around Fitz because she turns into a freaking idiot. And uh, he's not a likable or good person from what I've seen. And again, I just kind of jumped in in season uh, two. This most re- I, I haven't seen all of the back catalog as it were. Uh, so maybe again, maybe I'm missing something at some point where we're supposed to actually like him. Other than that,
2: that's from what I can tell, that is not the case. They
0: give good tortured face, but um, yeah, the this was an incredibly fun and watchable premiere. But yeah, again, I don't care about the romantic relationships. I like that Olivia did bring up uh Scott Foley's character to her dad. I like that that was one of the things that was in the back of her mind when she was listening to him, and that she did bring up when she decided to leave. I care way more about that character, by the way, than I do about about Fitz. So we'll see. I hope they bring him back. But uh, but yeah, I think people watch for the 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 craziness of it. And usually, I gotta say the gladiators. Oh, it feels so wrong to call them that. Um, the people that, that Olivia works uh, with or who work for her. Usually, they're helping people and doing good things. On the spectrum, at least, and that didn't happen this week. So, seeing how they're going to balance that moving forward should be interesting. Joe Morton is a lot of fun here, as well as just all the performances. They're so they're like, like unhinging their jaw to shovel in more cardboard to eat the set, and I, I but have to say, it's like, fun.
2: I know that Carrie Washington's gotten a lot of plaudits for the show, but she did, she didn't strike me nearly as much as the First Lady Mellie, mm-hmm. who just like demolished the episode i thought she was great
0: she's fantastic and carrie washington's doing a, she is the one who's doing more subtle work that you may be missing because you don't know the backstory in the background of that scene in the bunker she is doing some excellent work um but if you don't know that that may be the one scene that has okay. subtext that you're missing uh, okay. other than that, it's pretty straightforward. Uh so so yeah, she is Carrie Washington is fantastic on the show, but you're right, Bellamy Young as Melly is also really damn good. So And
2: she's also the only character I actually empathized with at all, based oh, she's, on this episode.
0: Oh, based on this episode, yeah. But she's also she's the devil.
2: <laughs> she, yeah, but at least she seems to embrace it. Like that's everyone true. else everyone else is like pretending to be a decent person or Mm -hmm. trying to forget that the person they're with is a horrible person, and she's just like, no, I'm horrible, you're awful, let's get into it.
0: (laughs) Good times. Let's move on to Parenthood, where pretty much nobody is horrible or awful. All the boys coming aboard. I really like this episode again. So glad to have Parenthood back, and for a full season this year. What did you think?
2: Are they doing 22 episodes this year? Yep. Holy crap, I did not realize that. That's going to be ridiculous. Um, Journey Smollett is here now, so... That's good. Way better fit than with True Blood. Obviously, yeah. no one's as good a fit on True Blood as they are on Parenthood. The entire True Blood cast could be on Parenthood, and it would totally work. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was good. I, I liked that um, Peter Krause's reasons for not wanting Christina to campaign were both flawed and believable, and actually had and had a basis in reality.
0: Yeah, and and had merit.
2: Yeah, and they let him, and then th- that final scene of him was just perfectly acted and just nicely ambiguous. Uh, I'm trying to think of things to complain about, and I'm not really thinking of anything. Um,
0: <laughs> I loved the scene with Lauren Graham, the progression over the course of that episode. I loved her scene with Ray Romano talking about the engagement, her scene with Peter Krause talking about the engagement. Both very valid, both excellent advice in different ways, and the way that that led her to her scene with Mae Whitman at the end was just, mm-hmm. again, beautifully handled, such, it it, I mean, it just made me so happy to see someone handle that so well And a moment that every other show, I feel like, would turn into a fight and stupid drama. They turn into a moment of acceptance and happiness and Sarah finally getting that relationship right in a way that in the earliest seasons of the show she maybe didn't.
2: Yeah, I, I will say that the way that they've kept Ray Romano and Lauren Graham apart seems kind of arbitrary like yeah it's like there's nothing wrong with their relationship he just left because he had to Mm -hmm. so for them to not be together just seems like kind of like like you know they're going to get them back together in four five six eight ten episodes Mm -hmm. so they may as well do it now
0: yeah but i do like if they continue to keep him more partnered with max the Those Sarah are scenes, yeah. that I would prefer that. I don't know if that's what's happening. We should complain though about our our sustainability couple. See <laughs> do you think Julia can sustain her marriage?
2: Oh there's, God.
0: A, there's an underlying subtext, guys. Yeah, that's just terrible. Setting up setting up uh, David Denham and Sonia Walger as the others in potential marital infidelity. It's just that that's a storyline from a from a worse show. And I really yeah. hope that I'm surprised and it doesn't go that way, but it's it's got to, right?
2: It's it seems like based on the preview for next week, they're already sort of teasing that. But yeah, I do like David Denham, although he, I feel bad for him that he just gets keep, keeps getting saddled with like thankless, thankless characters.
0: He's the Ralph Bellamy character right now, the the guy who's in there to be the other guy in the relationship, and of course that's the role he played on uh, on. On the office, the, office, uh, the yeah. U.S. office, as well as it looks to be the role he's playing here. Well, we'll see what happens with it, but uh, but I just I'm not hopeful.
2: <laughs> yes, everything else in the show is great. That not so much.
0: Yeah, I also liked the stuff with Camille and Zeke here this week, and hopefully we'll get more for them to do. This notion of maybe giving up the the childhood home or the the homestead is is an interesting and it's often a painful experience for at least for kids, but a very truthful one that a lot of people go through. So it should be interesting. Next up is Boardwalk Empire, Earl Koenig, and classical music references out the wazoo. Are you familiar with the Earl King?
2: No, I'm not, but I'm sure you're about to tell me all about it.
0: Well, the Earl King is a, well, it's a Danish folk story that was made into a poem by Goethe, which was then made into one of the most famous leader of Schubert. There are many versions, many settings of the poem, but it's a really famous, uh, really famous classical Leader or art song, German art song that you will have heard as the intro music to this section of the podcast. And I'm I'm actually toying with having different versions of the Earl King be all of the music throughout this podcast. By the time you're listening to this, you know, but uh, but yeah, there are many versions of this story. It tells it's the story is of a father racing on horseback through the woods at night to get his son. The subtext, at least as far as I'm concerned, is that the son is sick to get him home and the son is like seeing things uh says that the earl king is coming to take him and the earl king is whispering promises of delightful things and the son won't come with him so then he says he's going to take them and and at the very end and the son the father keeps reassuring the son no that's just the fog no that's just a tree etc at the end spoiler alert it's a german folk story and uh song so of course the son is dead At the very end. It uh, does not have a happy ending. That is the the classical reference to it, that is in this episode. I thought this episode was fantastic. The performances were really good. And why can't it be this? I mean, I know they have to build to this, but why couldn't they have built to this level of emotion? Episode three, episode four. Why does that have to be episode five? Well, I, th-
2: I think it helps that, of all the storylines they follow on the show, we only got like half of them this week. Mm-hmm. So there was just a bunch of stuff we don't really care about we didn't check in on, so that's good. And I I, have, I always find it interesting, maybe you know the phenomenon I'm talking about, but on shows like this, like we always spotlight people like Jeffrey Wright and Michael Kenneth Williams, who are great. But then, every once in a while, they'll have an episode that really hones in on, on a few storylines and doesn't include actors we love, and somehow they're better episodes. Have yeah. You, I, I noticed that not just with Boardwalk Empire, but I feel like that also happened with The Bridge. Like, we had a great episode that had no Matthew Lillard or Emily Rios. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I, that's an interesting phenomenon. But, uh, yeah, I didn't miss the stuff. Like, I didn't miss Jack Houston this week as much as I think he's great. Yeah. I don't care about his storyline at all. I
0: didn't miss Jeffrey Wright, didn't miss Chalky, didn't miss, you know, a lot that was not in here.
2: Um, But yeah, it was definitely a better episode than usual. Uh, I liked all the stuff with Kessler. I think it's too bad he won't be around anymore.
0: I'm assuming. Um, We don't see a body, but I'm assuming.
2: (laughs) Yeah, uh, that was a really great performance. And um, it seems weird, though, that they did everything but kill him off last season just to kill him off now. I mean, he was gut shot. And I I totally assumed he was dead and then he was alive. So weird arc for him for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that phenomenon you're talking about, it just comes down to these are often really excellent casts, very deep benches. And so it comes down to what material the actors are given to work with. And so this week we get so much great material for Kessler. We get his whole backstory. We get a lot of really phenomenal moments for him. And the actor makes Anthony gonna pronounce it wrong lucera he gets a lot to work with and he's fantastic and it just makes me look back at the previous episodes going why didn't you give him more this whole time
2: right which is sort of the whole arc of the character yeah but um yeah so it was definitely above average for boardwalk and i also liked I, I loved the everything with michael shannon and the the whole riot sequence was just really well staged and i was not expecting that hail of bullets when that happened
0: i i cared about willie
2: yeah go figure
0: and i also i'm still i know you're having more issues with that this storyline but i'm still really enjoying gretchen mall's performance and uh, i she's gotta not have any chance of getting the grandson now right
2: clearly oh that was so unsettling
0: yeah definitely definitely Ooh.
2: like it's one of those like i the, the, what i liked about the staging of it is it's clear that that's going to be a scarring memory for that kid <laughs>
0: yeah yeah I have my review of this episode up at Sun on Sight, and I dive into the the song or the poem of the Earl King and tie, yeah, the, find the, I, I, I tie that thematically to each of the different storylines, and I, we don't have the time to get into that here. But if you're curious, check out my review at Sun on Sight. We should move on to Masters of Sex, Race to Space, your review of which is also up at Sun on Sight.
2: It is and uh I got to geek out about a different reference this week which was of course the um I thought the best scene of the show so far was um the the truth bomb dropping of the Simone de Beauvoir quote. I mean, how great was that scene? Come on. It was pretty great. Um and just I feel like it really set the stage for what the conflicts are going to be on this show and I just thought that uh especially um Langham's reaction just what? Just doesn't know how to process that information, even though he's clearly a very intelligent person. Just is was the perfect response. Um, I I thought this was about as good as the pilot. There was a couple of devices that I wasn't sure about, like the whole bringing in her. Can I just say Lizzie Kaplan's delightfully nerdy son? Uh, so adorable. But his you know his obsession with the comics, and then having her read it at the end, and having her tie that into Masters was. A little, you know, obviously incredibly on the nose and I could do without them doing things like that in the future but uh, still I, I, I was i was a, you know I, I thought it was about as good as the pilot despite being a little clumsier
0: yeah I thought it was it was. yes I, I think it's another very strong episode i really enjoyed it and uh, I actually have an email from a listener that I want to read off that I saved for this section uh, who wishes to remain anonymous so from one of our listeners um I I saw that you featured Masters of Sex on your podcast. I got to watch the premiere on Sunday with a bunch of my classmates, one of my professors, three of her friends, who actually worked with Masters and Johnson – I'm in a class called Sexuality Across the Life Course, and we are really pushing for the TV viewing to become a standing event. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it, since we mainly talked about how the portrayal of Bill and Ginny compared to, with what they were like in real life. The main agreement was that Bill was even less personable in person, and Ginny was very anti-woman, but had an incredible way of talking people into things, especially men. Among those who knew them, there's debate over whether he asked her to start sleeping together or as it was portrayed, or if it was really her idea. Just thought you'd be interested. So, huh. yeah. Interesting, interesting, right? That
2: is terribly interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to have to pick up the book now. Yeah. Um But, okay, that is that is interesting. Yeah, so from,
0: <laughs> from four people who worked with Masters and Johnson, a little wow. different perspective. And, and,
2: and that's saying something because, if anything, the most challenging aspect of the show is just how unlikable Masters can be. <laughs> Yeah, um, And I like and I think the way they balance that character is so great with especially that very tender scene he has with one of the prostitutes when he explains to her. No, you don't have cancer. You just need glasses. Yeah. Um, was so nice. And then from almost the entire rest of the episode, he's just so hard to like. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that they the way that they've designed that character is so smart. And I, I still but I continue to think that Betty is like the standout character so far. As as great as Kaplan and Jean are, uh, Annalie Ashford is just killing it in that role with her like Minnesota nice lesbian prostitute. Uh, awesome, I think she's <laughs> a great character.
0: Yeah, and I'm definitely looking forward to the episodes coming coming up.
2: Uh, you can read further thoughts on my in my review on the site.
0: Yeah, having so much fun with uh, with Masters of Sex. Our final episode this week, uh, the Good Wife, the Bit Bucket, and we're having a lot of fun with that too.
2: Yeah, they. <laughs> Just when you think the bench can't get any deeper, we add Zach Woods and, I forget his name, but the lawyer from The Wire. Holy (laughs) crap, I haven't seen him since The Wire. Uh, That's amazing. Uh, And I love that they've added this whole uh, NSA dimension because if you've read anything about the American intelligence community, you'll know that it's huge. Hmm. It's so huge. It's beyond huge. Like Almost one in a hundred Americans have some kind of security clearance. Wow, right now. Like, just, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's just a ridiculous industry, and uh, the fact that they're kind of getting into that now is, is, uh, is fascinating, and I'm amazed it's taken this long for any show to take it on. And I like that it's going to be a continuing thread, and uh, I, I also like that they have the Zach Woods character not be as buffoonish as we normally see him. Like, he's clearly kind of goofy, but he's also very, apparently, quite good at his job, no matter how suspect his job might be and uh, i don't know i liked just about everything this week i liked the the david lee and alicia's mom scenes (laughs) those were just so hilarious yeah and um i'm still not quite sure what they're doing with the kids and they were they kind of teased that a little bit this week but didn't get too much into it becca and oh yes and becca who i'd forgotten was a thing that existed um and yes which gave ellen coming more fun things to do rather than annoying things so good um i don't know i didn't really have an issue with anything this week
0: my only issue was the convenience of the interview timing with diane uh her you know clearly she's changed her mind and bashes will and that's going to lead to drama and and she she finds just as soon as the interview's over is when she finds out she didn't have to 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 get her judgeship and that's that's a bit you know okay fair enough but otherwise, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. Um, th- things are going to explode here pretty soon.
2: Yeah, and to me, like, I know that I'm sure some, some people won't enjoy having yet another added dimension. But having the NSA jerkery having going on constantly in the background, we can cut to them anytime. Sort of commenting on it like, you know, like deities. <laughs> I think it's like kind of an ingenious idea. So, man, I'm stoked for this season.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, so what wins your week in drama?
2: I will. I'll give it to Masters of Sex. Uh doesn't help that I have the biases that I'm writing about it in the Bhopal quote etc. Uh but I was quite happy with The Good Wife as well. So, that's it. that's that'll take runner up. Close runner up.
0: Yeah, and uh I'll give it whew, Boardwalk Empire's in the running for me. Yeah, I'll give it I'm going to give it to Boardwalk Empire this week. And uh I know with, uh, and, and probably again, probably the writing bias and the, the, the Schubert reference are helping out there. But again, I also really enjoyed Master's of Sex and, uh, The Good Wife as well. As well as parenthood like, there's a lot of, quality drama happening right now so that uh wraps up our week in tv a few show notes here before we go to informed opinions with lewis um our intro music was composed by mr simon howell our outro music is sweet petite by the bicycles you can find a post up at sound on org for this episode and uh, leave us a comment there let us know what you're watching let us know what you think of the various shows that we talked about you can also find us up in facebook if you'd like us there you can follow all the goings on at sound on tv as well as of course at the You can uh, Drop us a message there. send us an email to televers at gmail.com and of course we're both up on Twitter. I am at the televerse you are at sucker and what is our question of the week?
2: Uh, I'm wondering if there's uh, you know we obviously there's a whole boatload of new shows that started up a couple weeks ago and I'm wondering if there's stuff that people have already had to break up with that they've already gotten fed up with, whether or not they were excited for it in the first place. If theres anything you just got screw this already I'm sure I'm sure there's already been some stuff.
0: Okay, so let us know what shows you're breaking up with. If there's a show that you're decided to stick with, I'm curious about that too. I know that's a little maybe a little too on the happy side for you, Simon, a little too positive. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But also breakups as well. They they can be fun. Uh it would be very interesting to to know where the relationship stands on some of these shows that we've been talking about. But uh, we will now take a break and come back with Informed Opinions with Lou Zimmerman talking lawyers and the law on TV. So we'll be right back.
2: In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups, the police who investigate crime and the district attorneys who prosecute the offenders. These are their stories.
0: (laughs) We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week we are once again for going to the DVD shelf because it's time for another informed opinions, and that is the segment we'll be doing roughly every ten episodes or so. We we're calling it Expert Witness, and then we found out that AV Club did it <laughs> in true <laughs> South Park fashion. They have a similar uh, sort of uh, segment or thing that they do at the AV Club um, with that title. We thought we were so clever. Um, but now it's called Informed Opinions, and that's a pretty good name, too.
2: And ours is audio, so it's better.
0: Yeah, that's totally how it works. And uh, the first Informed Opinions, we had a chemist on, and we talked Breaking Bad, as well as just general chemistry on television. This time, we are joined by Lewis Zimmerman, Esquire. He's a lawyer, and he will be helping us t- look at you know the law on television, lawyers, procedures, all of that good stuff. Lewis, welcome to the show. Hello, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, for our listeners, why don't you give them a sense of you know what's your background in law?
1: Well, uh, I graduated from the University of Illinois uh, in Champaign Urbana. Uh, it's law school. Uh, I practiced for several years as a prosecuting attorney uh, in uh, rural Illinois, but also in urban Illinois. Um, I then moved on and had a and still have a private practice uh, that focuses on criminal defense, and and I'm currently. Uh pursuing a master's degree in library science.
0: So you, you you have experience being a prosecutor and a defender and and now you're try you're doing your best to live in a law library and do nothing but study the law and help people find all of their research.
1: <laughs> That's about it.
0: <laughs> that is deliciously nerdy. Uh, this is why we love you, Lewis. Um, now, w- when we talk about uh, law law, and lawyers on television, obviously they're one of the big three, right? There's doctors, there's there's pl- the police and firefighters and, you know, are emergency personnel, and there's lawyers. What do you think it is about lawyers or the law that has captured the imagination in such a way that we are inundated with legal programs and legal procedurals?
1: I I think it's a combination of two things. I think that um, people like crisis. So crisis makes good television, right? Um, Something really terrible has to happen that causes um, some kind of uh, character-building crisis to happen. And in society, uh, one of the main ways that happens is uh, uh, lawsuits, either criminal lawsuits or civil lawsuits. But I think the reason there's so many... Uh, is that um, the legal crisis is probably the cheapest one to produce. I mean, you just need a sort of Romanesque wood-paneled room (laughs) and a bunch of people in suits, right? Like, you don't need explosions. You don't need, you know, uh, big um, supporting casts. So it's kind of cheap to do, uh, and it has a lot of variety. So you can have a lot of things can happen. And so I think all that comes together in producers' minds. And then there, you get a lot of police procedurals.
0: You see, you say that, and there is a lot, there's so much potential in legal cases or, or in the law for, for variety, for all the different things you can do. And that's one of the things that, that Simon and I have enjoyed in the past couple of seasons about The Good Wife, that there seems to be quite a wide variety. And yet, I feel like, maybe it's just because I've watched so much Law and & Order and some other more derivative shows, I feel like it could just comes down to... Oh, rejection, uh, much in the style of that fabulous video game that I can't remember right now. Um, and uh, it's just like the same three beats over and over and over again. And overruled. Overruled. Yeah, exactly. I'll allow it. You know, I feel like there are three main things. And is that just because producers are worried that viewers will not stick with all of the nuance that comes with the law to really be interested in those more subtle the complexities of the law or is it just because it's easier to write what do you what do you you think
1: i you know i don't know i i the the business with objection is pretty popular Mm -hmm. um and it's it's a so it's like a cheap writing i i think it's easy writing to write that in i mean let's have like drama in the courtroom right like (laughs) objections that's drama but in reality in um, if there's an substantive objection so if there's an objection that really matters to the case it should not be happening in the courtroom and if it is that means that somebody has screwed up either the prosecutor or the defendant has not spotted an issue so you should spot all these issues beforehand or the judge has sort of put off ruling on this and he shouldn't
0: please tell us more about that because that is fascinating to me and I've never heard of that before
1: <laughs> so they do a good job of this actually in law and order so if you notice whenever there's like a key evidentiary matter, like there's some piece of evidence that they disagree about, and then like it's key to the prosecution's case, you notice how they're always talking about it in the judge's chambers? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's how it should happen. And the reason for that is if you're on the jury, you know, and there's you know, some witness saw says they saw this guy, you know, in the middle of stabbing this woman, right? But for some reason the witness is unreliable. Like the witness is very young. It, the question is whether they, the testimony should be allowed in. Well, if it comes in and if the witness gets on the stand and then is allowed to say part of the testimony and then, then the defense attorney objects, right, the, the jury's not going to wipe this from their mind. It's oh, just but a jury, bad,
0: disregard.
1: Oh, well, yeah, but they don't. And so it's a bad situation. And so you want to do that in front of the judge, you know, where the jury doesn't see it. And that's how you should do it, because if it's not admissible, the jury should know nothing about it. And so in law and order, they do do that. Like, the defense attorney, unless it's a surprise, and evidence shouldn't be a surprise in a trial, rules on that beforehand. Uh,
2: as as long as we're talking about t- TV lawyer show cliches, I would like to know, in your entire legal experience, has a judge ever angrily threatened to hold you in contempt, sir?
1: Yes, yes. That happens, that happens <laughs> frequently. Well, not frequently. Is, it that, depends on...
0: is that a you thing, Lewis, or is that a, a law thing? No, oh,
1: I've, like... It's happened once to me. It's happened once to me. And uh, Did you I know it, it happens. It's uh, a good question. <laughs> uh, yes, I... So, okay, I'll say this. Uh, yes, I deserved it, but I would repeat the behavior that led to it because it, it was in the interest of my client.
0: So wait, So, this is more common, though, than we might think.
1: Yes. So it's 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 fairly common in, in legal environments where there's acrimonious... Wrangling, So it's pretty common in Chicago, I know, um, because attorneys will get really emotional. Mm-hmm. And the judges, you know, judges are people. And so the judges will get emotional or won't. But in, in order to regain control, they'll threaten with one of their powers, which is to put the attorneys in jail. And it, I think it doesn't happen very much. They actually go to jail. But the threats definitely happen pretty often. Anecdotally, anecdotally. You know,
0: <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. What, what are some other good uh, TV lawyer cliches the how No, it's my understanding that usually actually cases like something like 90 something percent of cases are plea bargained
1: yes it varies it varies very much on the jurisdiction um for example uh the federal prosecutors have a very high conviction rate i'm i'm not 100 percent i'm not 100 on this number but it's like 95 percent of all the cases that they go to try with trial with they get convictions on um, and so that leads to a lot of plea bargaining. So defendants will plea bargain a lot with federal prosecutors, um, less so in state courts. And it depends on the county. So if it's a county that has tough judges, and um, then there'll be a lot of plea bargains. Or if the prosecutors are overloaded. So if the, there's a lot of cases charged, they'll plea bargain a lot out. But it's it's definitely almost always more than half in my experience.
2: I would assume that the major tv legal cliche or i guess more of a contrivance is time because especially if you watch something like the good wife it seems like every case is resolved in a week or two
0: 42 that's, minutes
1: oh that is definitely the case I, if there was one difference when you're watching stuff on tv that's time and even so even criminal cases which are faster they're much faster which is what i have experienced in. um you know like a murder case will grow a couple days you know, and these are like nine-hour days, and a particularly closing arguments. So closing arguments on television are always very pithy and are like 10 minutes. But in reality, they I've never been on a serious case that has a closing argument less than an hour. Um, and it's because of, um, I think, another thing that is different about real cases is... Um, even Law & Order does this, and Law and & Order I use an example because it's kind of the gold standard of like accuracy, but they, they have these cases that turn on guilt and innocence, and they turn on some emotional fact that reveals that the person is not guilty, right? And this happens a lot. Um, and that that is almost never the case in criminal trials, that that is what's important. And that it doesn't really matter in a certain sense, whether a person's innocent or not, right? Because what's, what, what, what it turns out is actually, and what they never discuss on criminal cases, is the burden of evidence that the state has. So the state has to prove people guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, right? And so that's what people are arguing about, not whether the dude's guilty or not. And often, oftentimes, the jury will say something like, you'll interview the jury afterwards, and they'll say something like, oh, yeah, we thought he was guilty, but we don't think that there was enough proof there. But okay. you can imagine how that would be a really unsatisfying television show, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty clear he's guilty, but... Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, they do trot out beyond the shadow of a doubt quite a lot.
0: Well, What does reasonable doubt legally mean? Who knows? <laughs> I <laughs> was cause... hoping you would know.
1: <laughs> so it's specifically prohibited from defining that for the jury. Okay. So you can't be like, oh, it's 52%. Like, you can't, you can't say that. Um, it's always the answers in, like, you have this book of jury instructions, which the Supreme Court writes, which are what things you're supposed to say to the jury to instruct them, right? And the answers to the, you know, what's reasonable doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt question are always like, you have to make that up in your own mind. like, <laughs> And uh, you're allowed to make, prosecutors are allowed to make sort of, what I always used to say in my closing arguments was, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt is, of course, a heavy standard that we're required to meet. But every day in this courtroom, we prove people guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, that doesn't mean beyond all doubts. You know, you can have a doubt about this or a doubt about that, that, but it has to eliminate all of the reasonable doubts you could expect to raise with our evidence. And that doesn't really inform, but it lets people feel good about finding people guilty. (laughs) Which is the reason I say it. Uh, But so it's, it's not a very, there's no definite definition of that. And I think it's in the legal system by design. Because it's put, it brings sort of a human, uh, unprofessional element into the decision of the case.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Now, how common is the uh, the the client who there's overwhelming evidence against them, but they're they say they're innocent. Gosh darn it, and they won't take a a plea deal. That seems to happen all the time on television. Does that ever really happen?
1: It does. Yeah. Okay. They're always all in my experience. They're almost always found guilty. Mm-hmm. But. Um, it's a very emotional time, um, and I've certainly had clients who, you know, their drugs were in their front pocket, right? And they the search, they we've had the motion to suppress, and the they search is coming in, and so they their argument is that even though the drugs were in their front pocket, they didn't know about them, and if they know about them, they didn't have any control over them. And um, you know, you tell your client, you know, that's nobody's going to believe that, and uh, <laughs> they say they say you're a shitty attorney. Let's go to trial. And they're the boss. So you go to trial and then they lose. Um, so that happens That happens fairly regularly. You try to avoid those clients. Uh, but, you know, it's yeah. your job to represent them whether they want to have a trial or not.
2: What I guess one thing that I'd like to know about is I'd like to get into sort of like lawyer characters. And this isn't a lawyer character per se as just a person. But I, I had to, since we have you here, I had to get a, your thoughts on it. Uh, a while back, we watched a show called First Person, a documentary series. And one of the characters, one of the people they looked at was a, uh, a mob defense attorney. And he gave a statement about, um, that's the great thing about murder cases, one less witness. And I, I, I'm i just curious as to whether, like, do you actually run into people that sleazy? Like, do they actually, does that actually happen on a regular basis?
1: Uh, they exist. Um, most defense attorneys have to work in a community. And so that they try to be nice to people. Um, in, a, in a sort of similar context, I have a story. There was a guy who worked in a county that I worked in, and I won't give his name, but um, I remember sitting in the courtroom while he was, You ha- in debt collection cases, you can, it's possible to sometimes put people in jail if they don't pay. And it was maybe a 95-year-old woman who was, was able, unable to pay like $15. She was $15 short. And he, by God, wanted the judge to put her in jail for this $15, right? And the judge wasn't going to do it. And the the woman, it just upset this old elderly woman. And I was sitting there thinking, man, what a son of a bitch. And then I thought, you know, if I was wanted somebody to collect money for me, that'd be the dude I'd hire, right? Some guy who would squeeze yeah. an old lady for pennies. And so um, I think that sort of, you know, win feeling, it makes you a good attorney in a lot of situations. And so many of the greatest defense attorneys were very much like that. And so that's a real character. I think it's relatively uncommon, but I think it it might be more common among really excellent defense attorneys.
0: Are there particular, like I would, I would assume like an A-type personality just because of the amount of time and years of study it takes to become a lawyer, not to mention just poring over precedents and stuff. Are there certain personality types that are more common or are there certain, like we talked, you talked about uh, law and order being sort of the gold standard. That's really encouraging, makes me happy because I, I enjoy law and order. Um, but are there certain, you know, f- famous television lawyers who are particularly indicative of the, at least the types of, of, uh, lawyers you have dealt with?
1: Uh, there's definitely stereotypes. So prosecutors are definitely stereotyped as type A and I'm not type A and I was a prosecutor and, um, and defense attorneys are more, more sloppy and prosecutors say it's because they don't have to prove anything. So all they have to do is like, make you believe lies is that's <laughs> what a prosecutor did. And so there's definitely stereotypes for different kinds of attorneys and then, you know, there's the corporate attorney, who are also very tight-laced, type A-type type people. There's, you know, the personal injury trial attorney um, stereotype. And they have some reality, so you run into a lot of people who are like that. Um, but there's exceptions. You know, there's always exceptions. And, one, I mean, one of the best defense attorneys I ever met was this real quiet dude who would just sort of stare and not say anything. And then he would know when to attack your case, and he would do it. So he wouldn't waste time questioning every witness, he wouldn't waste time, like, on this point and that point. But your weakness in your case, you know, that the cop didn't actually see this thing, he'd he'd just nail it. And so since the jury didn't hear a lot of extraneous stuff, they remembered what was important. And he was really brutal uh, as a defense attorney. And so he broke the stereotype of the sort of gregarious guy.
2: Now, I, I I guess on the other tip, like, what's the, the, the lawyer show that you've watched that most, either through character design or through some other defect, just most made you roll your eyes, like, that would never happen?
1: Um, probably Ally McBeal. I don't know, that's a little <laughs> old. Like, that dates me a little bit. But oh, that's good. They would fire everybody involved in that show. <laughs> like, they get zero work done. And then when she gets up in front of the... In front of juries and makes these arguments, which are like just ridiculous emotional arguments. I mean, they they would never get that far. And then somebody would fire her and she'd be on the street. (laughs) And uh, so that's probably the worst, though. The CSI shows are pretty bad, too. They're sort of not really legal shows, Mm -hmm. but they pretend to be.
0: Now, Do you have any particular pet peeves? I ask knowing your answer (laughs) about this one in either in, in criminal or legal procedurals.
1: I think my biggest pet peeve is probably the crime tech people. Okay. So there's a big controversy, especially among criminal justice people, um, that centers around fingerprint testing and sort of extends to other type of forensic evidence. And it's, it's essentially that, almost, that fingerprints and a lot of other forensic evidence have no basis in scientific reality. So there's never been a scientific study that showed that fingerprint testing, fingerprints can correlate to people, right? They yeah. just, right? Huh. There, it's just, there's no science behind that at all. And so that they just sort of do it and people believe in it uh, to an extent. And in these shows, so in these, sh- in these crime, sh- in these CSI shows, they show them, you know, they sweep in and they use science, you know, and then they solve the mystery. <laughs> and that that never happens, right? And if you think about it for a minute, it makes sense to you. Like, let's say, you know, the best scientific evidence is DNA. So there's a murder, and your DNA is all over this guy's apartment. You know, what does that actually prove? Only that you were in the apartment at some point, right? Mm. You know, that you touched things. It doesn't solve the case. It doesn't prove really anything that's necessary to prove a crime. So that's my biggest pet peeve, is sort of mishandling the scientific evidence.
2: So basically, you've just debunked the entire CSI series.
1: <laughs> yeah, immediately. it's so the CSI is just... I can't watch it. Although <laughs> Kate, what Kate is talking about, what Kate is talking about, is this sort of action approach to law enforcement, which is the Jack Bauer school of law enforcement, which is the you know you sort of rush in there and like everything's an emergency and you solve you solve crimes by being a fascist torturer, and that that just doesn't solve crimes. I mean it it just doesn't, and that it encourages people to believe that that's how you might solve crimes. And that that makes, you know, life for all of us more dangerous. So I think it's actually, and Kate disagrees with me, I think that it's actually evil television. It's television that makes everyone who participates in it worse.
0: It's very interesting. And uh, I, I've, we've had many a scintillating conversation about about 24 in specific. But but the more that I watch, and this is something with the podcast where I watch every network pilot so that we can review it on on the podcast as they air and so having seen so many more cop shows than i used to than i had you know even just five years ago more
2: than anyone ever should
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah there's there's that too healthy for a person yeah i just and so the number of procedurals even just just this year where we have police brutality that is okay in like the first five minutes, certainly in the first episode, and we're supposed to like these people and we're supposed to think they're good police officers. I think it's part of the just the the antihero, the you know, the death throes of the male antihero. We you know people want these, and and maybe it ties back in like you were saying, Lewis, with Twenty Four, where people want these cops as their their protagonists who get stuff done, even if there's no evidence or reason to think this person knows anything um so so you would probably be happy to know that that you have rubbed off on me yes yeah. in that now every time I see a a police officer on a a cop show, you know just start beating up a witness. <laughs> Just and then and then that always works. And they go, they like they hold out for like three punches. And then because our bad guy, our leader lead can't be too bad, they they manage to get the information before they have to do anything too unlikable. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just oh my goodness. It's, and it's, it's,
1: they're always it's, right, right? And yeah, they're always really right. Whenever that happens, television shows all I can think about is, oh, well, they're not going to convict that guy of anything.
0: Yeah, like,
2: you know, well, and at least getting away with it. And at least like thinking back on shows like NYPD Blue. You know, they had the good sense to make Sipowitz. I wouldn't could you would you call him a likable anti-hero? Like I wouldn't, I'd call him just a straight-up anti-hero.
1: There are shows that have police brutality and um I'm thinking of uh The Shield. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where it's clear so there's police brutality, but it's clear that this is part of things being out of control. Mm -hmm. And it's not it's not shown as a legitimate tool of police work. And and one of the, an interesting side note on this is that one of the phrases I hate the most is when people refer to things as victim rights and offender rights. So, like, they'll say, you know, where are the victim rights? Like, they're just protecting, you know, the defendants. And, they, you know, you have these inferior defendant rights. And really what they're talking about is the rights that we all have against abuse by the government. And the reason these exist is to protect us, you know, from the government, but also (laughs) to make the criminal justice process work better. Because um, actually beating people up and uh, uh, disregarding evidence causes you, and there's numerous cases of this, you know, where you find people on death row who turn out to be totally innocent, right? And when somebody totally innocent is on death row, it means the guilty dude is out there walking around, right? Mm -hmm. Or in jail for something else, which happens a lot, actually. But, um... Uh, So when you do these kind of behaviors, it's not that, you know, we're just not doing them because we're better, like we're good people. We don't do them because they're bad at catching criminals, right? I mean, if you beat some guy up, you know, maybe he'll confess, but that doesn't mean he did it. And it doesn't mean in a real-life context it's actually admissible. Right, and if you tell cops, do whatever it takes to get the crook, you know, they go out and they see some drug dealer they don't like, and they convince themselves that he's guilty, right, and then they manufacture evidence. And you, you see cases of this all the time. And so when you have television shows where this works, you know, it's it gets in people's minds that this works, right? And they start to think, you know, why aren't cops, you know, really go hitting the streets and taking care of business?
2: Actually, since you brought it up, I, I would be curious, like, as a percentage, or, or, or I guess if you don't want to say it as a percentage, that's fine. Like, how much did you encounter sort of police misconduct being an issue in a case?
1: Uh... It varies a lot place to place, and there's there's definitely police culture. And I will say, I won't name bad police departments, but I will say, like, for That's example. probably smart. Yeah, I will, I will say, for example, the Geneseo Police Department in Henry County, where I worked, uh, was an excellent police culture. And it was built uh, out of a lot of hard work on the part of the community. There was a police board where people would come and they would field complaints about the police, you know, and then they would talk to the police about it, you know the police chief and then someone from the police union and talk to them about it. And, like, they would talk it out. And so this made a whole culture of police officers who felt like they were members of the community, members of the community who felt like they owned the police. And it made just good policing, right? Uh, And then there's bad culture, where you have that attitude that police, you know, there's the police and then there's the crooks, right? And uh, they really got to mess those guys up. And then you get things where... I didn't run into a lot of full-on police abuse, but you run into things where you, the police do sloppy investigations, where they pull things without, you know, probable cause, and it's it's in bad it's in bad police culture, and it's police officers who's gotten into bad habits, and that's generally what causes the abuse. And I'm not saying that worse abuse isn't out there. It's just I haven't run
0: into it. Now, as a lawyer who also you know has an affinity for particular television. Are there any any um, do, are there ever times where you're watching a show like I don't know, like Law and Order or I don't know if you watch The Good Wife, which is a big one for us at least, but some of these other legal shows where you're either smacking your head or going, actually that was I didn't see that coming or that was you know I, I, I would uh, totally say that in a closing statement.
1: I actually have I just sort of marathon watched all of the killing uh, the American version, which I highly recommend. Um, I've watched a couple Good Wives, but not many. But The Killing, I think, has something that's kind of rare in police procedurals, which is detectives doing detective work, so that uh, they're, you, they sort of go... <laughs> sorry, sorry,
0: just detectives doing detective work being rare is awesome. Oh, it is!
1: Like, I mean, they gather... So you gather facts, right? And you try to figure out what happened. And it's, they make... That's
0: crazy talk.
1: Right, right. You don't just go out and there's like... And, and it's really interesting to watch a theory of the case come together in that show and they make a lot of mistakes. And I won't tell you exactly ones. And it gets a little ridiculous because they switch, you know, suspects like 50 billion times, but it's still like the process of thinking out the series of events that happened. And I think that that's what makes really excellent police procedurals. And I enjoy watching that. Like it's exciting to me. Yeah.
2: I mean, I I think that I, I, not being a lawyer or someone who works in law enforcement, I, I do think that I have huge problems with the killing, but I think Holder, is probably the most interesting cop on TV right now. He's so great.
1: He's definitely... Well, it's canceled now, right?
0: Yes, well... For now. Yeah. We'll see. I'm I'm
2: hoping he gets his
1: own show. I don't... The ending... I I can't even talk about it, because, like, I'll ruin it for all the listeners, but the ending of the last season was just like... I was like, oh, man. This can't end like this. It's crazy.
0: (laughs) Good times. Well, uh, unless we have any final questions... Simon, any other questions that come to mind?
2: Uh, no, but I, I think you should be watching more of The Good Wife. It's good stuff.
1: It I, my mom really likes it, and she always tries to get me to watch it, so I should. I should.
2: Yeah. Oh, actually, I do. Uh, I guess on that tip, one more question. How <laughs> how often is it that you get sort of, like, wacky romantic triangles showing up in law offices? Because it seems oh. to happen on
1: TV all the time. That, okay, I think that's the number one thing that people think doesn't happen, but happens a lot. And it's <laughs> sometimes it's even like, and I've had, I won't name names, I've had, I've known people who've gotten into trouble. So attorneys like have sexual relationship with a client or with like other attorneys that are on the other side, which is no, no, you know? And um, it's because when you're an attorney, especially like a prosecutor, you spend a lot of time in the office, right? So you don't get a lot of meet people, but you're still horny. And so there's all these like other like lady attorneys or male attorneys around. And so you knock boots and it causes a lot of problems because you have conflict of interest then. And so it's like drama. So that happens a lot. Huh. That's pretty common, yeah.
0: <laughs> that is hilarious and amazing. It, is there a similar kind of culture in in for lawyers, either criminal or or prosecution or, or defense, like there is with po- certain other high risk jobs, like doctors or or police, for divorce, just because of the crazy hours?
1: Um, I bet there's a lot of divorces. I don't know for sure, but there's a lot of alcoholism among attorneys. Okay. it's sort of high it's a high stress job and so there's a lot of alcoholism and i bet that there's also a lot of divorces there's a whole category in law school there's a whole category of cases where a professional either a lawyer or doctor usually um is put through law school by their spouse usually the wife um and then uh graduates from law school or medical school gets a lot of money trades up Mm -hmm. trades up to a better wife and then the old wife sues them and wants Mm -hmm. the money that they paid for law school back um in the line of cases says they don't get it but it's like it's interesting because when you study this there's like five cases they are ex- ex- exact same situation so i guess the message for your view for your listeners is don't put your spouse through law school unless you have a contract
0: <laughs> or, uh,
2: or unless you're sure you're
1: the best wife or husband they could ever possibly get yeah
0: doesn't mean they don't think they'll trade up
1: i mean you might think you're the best but get that contract <laughs> if i was your attorney i'd be like get that writing
0: yeah, get everything in writing, and um, don't talk until you. That, that's like the never, never talk before you speak with an attorney. Yeah,
1: do not talk to police. Police are not your friend.
0: Yeah, I've
2: I've seen some. Yeah, that's that that's actually my pet peeve. Uh, like I, again, I'm not a lawyer, but I know enough about it that whenever and it happens all the time on cop shows, people like people talk way way before lawyering up, and I'm like, no, you're dumb.
1: Oh, they do, and that's accurate. People just, I mean, I never understood why drug dealers are on the side of the road and the cops are like, can I look in your trunk? And there's like 20 pounds of heroin in there, and they're like, sure, point." And it's like, what are you doing? Like, don't let them into your trunk! Like, I don't know, something might happen! Your car might explode in the time, and, and then they just do it, and I'm like, Oh Although I did learn an interesting, maybe an interesting thing to end on, is that it's very common practice when you're taking drugs across the country, is there'll be one car in front with the drugs. And the, like, low-ranking people, right? And there'll be, in the back, um, a car with mean-ass higher-ranking dudes. And so that they watch to see if the front one gets pulled over, and then those guys are okay. They go to jail, they get a lawyer, whatever. But if the drugs disappear and they weren't pulled over by cops, the guys in the second car kill them.
0: (laughs) Okay, then.
1: I'm taking notes. Yeah, it's a neat system. Neat system for the drug lords.
0: Okay, Well, we ended our first informed opinion by asking our our chemist friend, uh, Mendeleev, for his top five science moments on Breaking Bad. Just um, And with no preparation here, do you have top five lawyers or or legal moments on television? Anything that comes to mind?
1: Top five, that's tough. Um, I would say my favorite... A uh, lawyer is Jack McCoy from Law and Order. Everyone's favorite. Yeah, yeah, uh, he acts so much like a lawyer, and like he's just good. Uh, now,
0: now, are we talking ADA Jack McCoy or DA Jack McCoy or both? ADA, ADA. ADA before he gets the promotion. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, and then I would say, boy, top five. Boy, I just don't have the I just don't have the memory for it. I I have a I have a, a sort of fondness for detective shows, and mm. so um i like i that moment I've been watching the killing, so it comes to mind. I like that moment when the oh you you guys know the what's the name of the the young detective who's sort of had the drug problem holder yeah when he when they can when she confronts him and finds out about all that um I think that's really excellent uh an excellent uh i guess that's the detective moment mm-hmm. um and I'd say the rest of them are from law and order like the next like three through five because i really like the moments when the um when the prosecution is presented with a serious problem with their evidence mm-hmm. and they're sort of taken aback by a ruling uh i think that they really portray that accurately and it and it resounds with me because i know that feeling like when your evidence is no good and it's like you've been wrong and you're invested in the case and it really is a sinking feeling and so i, I resonate with that
0: does fruit of the poisonous tree happen as frequently as it happens on television.
1: Um, yeah, that's pretty common. So whenever any whenever any evidence is found to be is excluded, um, any evidence that follows from that evidence also is, and that usually when usually that means a search. So they stop someone and search them and find a bunch of stuff, and the stop wasn't good, the first part, and so the rest is out, and that's called fruit of the poisonous tree. Because because uh, I think lawyers are like all want to be poets, and so you have this like. <laughs> Fruit of the Poisonous
0: Dream. Okay, cool. Thank you. That's this has been really informative. I feel like I've learned so much, and uh, now I want to go watch more Law and Order. And, and now it, this this notion that really Columbo is way more accurate for how cases get solved as opposed to CSI is just just makes me smile. So thank you so much, Lewis, for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you, Louis, so much for coming on and and informing us, enlightening us with your informed opinion. And uh, everyone, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.